to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Teaching in all the towns of Galilee, the area north of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and word is getting around about the way he preaches and the things that he says. He's become the TikTok phenom of the day. So here we see him beginning of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Luke, I'll be reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, that's another name uh, for Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down, and he taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, Master, we've been working all night long, and we've caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats So they began to sink. And now when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to the shore, they left everything and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. If you're smart, and I know all of you are smart, all of you, if you're smart, you've always got to be on the lookout for the catch. There's always a catch. Those of us of a certain age will remember getting our music 
our CDs and our tapes from Columbia House Records. You filled out a postcard and you signed up and you put it in the mail and back in the mail you would get like nine tapes for a penny. Amazing! Amazing! But of course, once you got the free ones, you were on their list. And once you were on their list, you got another album every single month and a bill for $16.99. And, and the chances were you didn't even like the album. It was Billy Ocean's Lesser Hits or Meatloaf or something. My point is, right, that nothing is free. If it looks too good to be true, there must be a catch. Another place where you should be on the lookout for a catch is whenever you're reading scripture or studying theology. Our Bible is queer. It is full of passages, even whole books that are off kilter and out of place. Same thing's true with our theological tradition. There's all this stuff that we've inherited from our ancestors, and some of it's awesome, but some of it, when you look at it closely, it feels really peculiar and awkward and doesn't bear up under scrutiny. One thing that I learned in seminary that I have taken with me is that whenever you find something in the scriptures or in our tradition and it feels a little bit off, you got to investigate it. You explore it. You go deep into it. There's often something beautiful and even holy in the places where you find a catch. So I read this text from Luke again this week, and I laughed when I got to the last part of the story. After the disciples have this massive load of fish that they haul in, Jesus delivers the punchline. He says to the disciples, from now on, you will be catching people. That's a funny image, if you think about it. At least at first it is. I mean, the idea of Jesus and the disciples kind of running around with the, uh, the old net. You remember like the old Tom and Jerry cartoons, the big net? Uh, catching people, right? You can see it in your mind's eye. Catching people. It's kind of funny. But if you sit with that image a little longer, it gets a little less funny. It's this image that has provided the foundation for a lot of what has passed for evangelism over the years. Catching people. Rounding them up. Hooking them. Gathering them in like fish. For what? For conversion, for consumption, the transliteration of the Greek in this passage literally is catching them alive. No wonder they didn't put that in the NRSV translation. From now on, you will be catching people alive. Is this evangelism? Is it a human rights emergency? Maybe it's the premise for a horror film. Our church as a whole, the Christian church, is not even close to being done repenting 
for the abuses that we've perpetrated over our 2,000 plus years by treating non-Christians as fish to be caught. The metaphor itself is based on a fallacy, right? It implies a qualitative difference in value between Christians and non-Christians. In the language of the philosopher Martin Buber, the metaphor proposes an I-it relationship. Christians are people. We're the subjects. We have dignity. We have integrity. Non-Christians are fish. They are objects. They are there to be taken and used for our purposes, whatever those purposes might be. How, I don't know how often y'all go fishing. But it's not a two-way street, you know, right? It's not a mutual give and take between fisher and fish. It's about capture and eluding capture. It's not what I would call a liberative practice. So with all due respect to Jesus, who seems to be the source of this metaphor, this is not the image for which we faithful Christians signed up for. I'm not about to go out into this world to fish for people. Except, except for one thing. There's one thing that keeps me from dismissing this metaphor entirely. There's one catch, if you will. The catch is that I've been caught. I'm caught. And I hope and I pray that I won't wake up someday and, and discover the hook of disillusionment in my mouth or the net of despair around me, because the way that I've been caught by God feels a whole lot better than the way I imagine a fish feels. Something's got a hold of me at the very core of my being. And it will not let me go. There is such a thing as being caught in a life of faith. That's a real thing. And if you and I, who have experienced this being caught, if we can somehow find a way to convey through our lives what it feels like to be wrapped up and held in the arms of the divine, we might redeem at least a piece of this metaphor after all. To be caught up in faith is to come to the beautiful and humbling recognition that our lives are connected to everything and to everyone around us. We're all caught like this, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Those were Dr. King's words. Being caught like this is not a bad thing. So how do we, how do you and I, talk about and promote and practice a faith that celebrates that kind of connection? That would be real evangelism. So this morning I want to offer to you three simple ways that we can do this. The first one involves not nets, but networks. We who are Christians 
are called to create networks. Networks that catch and support each other through life's ups, but mostly through the downs. These networks might be institutionalized in churches or schools or 12-step groups or nonprofits or book groups, but they may just as well be the informal networks of friends and neighbors. Can I pick up your mail for you? Can I watch your kids today? Good networks are places where we know others and we are known in turn. Places where our lives matter to each other, where our gifts can be given for each other's benefit and others' gifts are received for our own. To be caught in a life of faith is to be woven into patterns of interaction and kinds of relationships where our interconnectivity as children of God is felt in the flesh. In these networks, relationship is sought only for itself because relationships are human and humanizing. Being together is intrinsically good. That's one way that we can embody our connections. Now there's a second way that I want to lift up for you all that the life of faith catches us and connects us to each other. This time, it's not a net, but it's a web. The web of knowledge about the world in which we live. Truth is a web. You can see it in your mind, can't you? It used to be that truth claims were built on foundations. We talked about foundational truth, things that we could say we knew for certain. All knowledge in the world would be built on foundations. But now we live in a postmodern world. And the web has replaced the foundation as the key metaphor for the way that knowledge works. In a web, what we find to be true, whether it's through our faith or through science or through beauty, all truth must be connected in the web. It has to be linked to and consistent with our experience of the world and with the experiences of each other. The web of knowledge has no foundation. It's a constellation of ever-changing, yet perpetually sympathetic points of understanding. So one of our responsibilities as Christians is to take our tradition seriously, to know our theology and to study it, to know our scriptures and to study them, and to always be willing to put our tradition in conversation with the whole world around us. This conversation, this participation in the web of knowledge strengthens our tradition, and it strengthens our faith. It shows us where and how we Christians have screwed up over the years. Our patriarchy, our sexism, our complicity with economic injustice and violence and white supremacy. When the web of knowledge shows us our faults, we can repent and we can begin to change. 
But our participation in the web of knowledge won't only show us what Christianity has gotten wrong, it will also remind us of the unique strengths and the unique gifts of our faith tradition, our focus on self-giving love, our sense that everyone belongs, our care for those who struggle, our capacity for humility and wonder and praise. An intact web keeps us psychically healthy. It connects our tradition's amazing metaphysical claims about life and life beyond death to the reality of empirical observation. We are all caught and held in the web of knowledge and in this often confusing world, the web can harbor us from disillusionment and despair. We are caught in the web. One more way that we are connected. And lest my vision for being caught in a life of faith seem way too abstract, our life must also include being caught and held in the loving embrace of other human beings. There is nothing, there is no experience in the world as important as being caught in the arms of someone who loves you. Now, I don't mean everybody's got to get married, right? Although marriage can sometimes be a place where this love is given and received. I'm saying that all of us need to experience the sublime feeling of human intimacy. It can be with a friend, or with a lover, or with our children, or our grandchildren, or with our parents. This embrace is a basic authentication of our humanity. It is a kind of catching and being caught that is paradoxically the truest expression of human freedom. In a loving embrace, there is no I and it. There is I and thou, two subjects whose desire is to love each other into freedom. When we love one another, we reenact God's disposition toward us. We are caught in the best kind of way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He says, do not be afraid. Follow me. From now on, you will be catching people. It's a complicated metaphor. There's definitely a catch in there. Can we all reject that imperative to do the catching and still embrace the experience of being caught. If by being caught, we mean caught in networks of mutual support, caught in holistic webs of knowledge, and caught in the loving embrace of another. That is a vision of the Christian life 
that I can live with. I might even say it's a vision for which I am willing to be caught alive. Let the church say, Amen.